0: Today's reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 starting at verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendour of the heavenly bodies is of one kind and the splendour of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendour, the moon another, and the stars another, and stars differ from star in splendour. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body if there is a natural body there is also a spiritual body so it is written the first man Adam became a living being the last Adam a life-giving spirit the spiritual did not come first but the natural and after that the spiritual the first man was of the dust of the earth the second man is of heaven as was the earthly man so are those who are of the earth and as is the heavenly man so also are those of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep
1: Uh, i just arrived home from uh, being out somewhere, and I, when I arrived home, Sue was in the sunroom with our grandson, Oliver. So Oliver was probably approaching four, and as I came into the, uh, the sunroom, uh, he saw me, and then he turned to Sue, and he said, Papa's alive, you know, and... Um, I thought this was rather a, a sort of a strong reaction, and then he's, he got all teary, he just all emotional, and, uh, and then he rushed over and he just gave me this big, big hug, you know. And uh, I look, I I realise I'm getting a bit older, uh, but at this point, I don't think it's that surprising that I turn up alive, you know. Uh, and then, of course, I got the backstory. Uh, What had happened was Sue had brought Oliver home uh, To our place He'd seen this funeral leaflet on the counter The picture of someone there And asked what it was And uh, Sue had explained That it was a friend of ours Who loved Jesus Who'd gone to be with him He'd died and gone to be with Jesus Then Oliver said uh, to Sue Where's your papa? Where's your papa? Which is what he calls me And uh, Sue thought he was talking about her father so he explained that uh, she explained to him that her father had gotten old and gotten sick and died. Right, pretty straightforward, really. <laughs> He'd seen me a few days previously, but there, there, there you go. And uh, and so it all sort of became obvious. And so I heard Sue uh, uh, taking Oliver off, and Oliver was saying, "Papa was a." Papa was dead now he's alive. You know, Papa was dead. And she so was explaining, no, that actually wasn't the case. You know, and I sort of went through it. And then, and then I heard Oliver say, Papa was a bit dead. <laughs> <laughs> Papa was a bit dead. Um, it's not often actually you can laugh about death, is it? Not often you can do that, I don't think. And whether you're four or 104 or somewhere in between, uh, death has enormous impact impact on each one of us, uh, whether it's because you've just been at a funeral. I took a funeral just this week uh, on Wednesday for someone I've known for about 50 years. Uh, that, that has a salutary impact on you, or whether it's uh, as you've come through the pandemic, and it's just alerted you to the fact that in reality you have this sort of paper-thin grasp on life and control over your future. Well, maybe it's even when you wrestle with the bigger questions of the meaning in life and you know that actually death is the end for everybody. So what does that mean when it comes to life in this world when we all die? And of course, it then triggers that question. Well, what does, what does happen to you when you die? You know, what, what occurs at that point? And I reckon it's a topic that most Australians just tend to avoid. You know, we just sort of, you know, push it to one side, and if it does come up, like at a funeral, like I attended on, on Wednesday, you know, people who they'll tend to just sort of sentimentalise about it. Ah, oh, they're looking down on us, you know, they've gone to a better place. They're, it's it's sort of very vague. They'll always be with us, you know. Those sort of comments are really the common thing. We're cynical in life, but very sentimental, I think, as Australians in death. And then the films, you think about, well, what happens when you die? Uh, uh, I think cinema has been one of the big factors in that, the way we think about it. You, know, you see people dying and they're sort of these vague spirits moving out and you see the spirit disembodied, you know, looking down on the scene of someone being dead. You know, or other people believe in re- reincarnation or some people believe nothing. You, know, you die and that's it. You know, there's lots of different views about it. What happens when we die... And can you know what happens when you die? Let me turn to the Bible. Uh, Jesus' resurrection and ours are linked together. If you're a card-carrying Christian, then you believe Jesus was raised by God from the dead, and it, it's an extraordinary thing, really, that someone who was dead three days should beat death and come back to life. Like you know that that is impressive. And anyone who believes it knows that that is impressive. But that event of Jesus being raised from the dead is not meant to be a spectator event. We're not meant to hear it or observe it and go, good job, Jesus, and go home, as if it's just one of those observe and forget sort of events. It's not like that. For a few moments, what I want to do is talk about the connection between Jesus' resurrection and ours. What happens to us when we die. It's actually the issue that Paul the Apostle takes up with this young Corinthian church and we hear about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that we just heard, heard read so helpfully. Paul there in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 12 says, but if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead and the Corinthians believe that that was the case, right? if it's believed Christ has been raised from the dead, the then goes on and says, how can some of you say, There's no resurrection from the dead for the rest of us, is what he's saying. How can you think one thing and not think the other? Jesus has been raised. If you trust in Jesus, it has a profound impact on what happens to you when you die. He goes on in verse 20 and says, But Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. Now, anyone who knows me know I'm not much good with fruit. That is, I sometimes eat it, but I have no idea how it appears on trees. I like I can't garden for nuts, and I, I tend to kill everything in our, uh, our garden. As Sue can testify, if you'd like stories over morning tea. Right? But the first fruits idea here, um, Jesus, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep, is a, a farmer sort of picture and if I can just paint it for you as badly as I can but uh, you imagine the farmer who has an apple orchard right and the first apples start to appear on the tree of his orchard they are the first fruits and all things being equal this farmer knows that there's going to be a lot more apples on his trees as the season progresses. That's the simple picture that's being painted here on 1 Corinthians 15 and the point being made is what God has done for Jesus he'll also do for those who trust in Jesus. Jesus is the first apple there'll be lots of apples to follow that's the sort of picture. When you see the resurrected Jesus you're meant to see your future if you trust in Jesus. So going back to the analogy with the fruit the farmer. Um, doesn't see apples, the first apples start to pop out in the tree and sit back and go, I wonder what the rest of the crop's going to be like. Maybe it'll be watermelons, you know. Maybe it'll be strawberries, bananas possibly, you know. But the farmer doesn't do that. The farmer knows he's got apples on his apple tree and there's going to be more apples to come. What God has done for Jesus, he will do for us how does that work? How does that work? Um, just this week, uh, as I said, I, I took a funeral for someone I'd known well uh, for about five decades. Uh, he had dementia. He would declined over a long period of time. Uh, but I've sat at the bedside of lots of people declining. People have had cancer that's just ravaged their body and devastated their capacities. How do emaciated, cancer-ridden bodies get raised from the dead? How does that work? Paul takes up the issue, verse 35 of 1 Corinthians 15. Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? Yeah, fair question. With what kind of body will they come? And then Paul's response, how foolish. What you sow doesn't come to life unless, unless it dies. And when you say you don't plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. Uh, If you're a believer in Jesus, do you sometimes wonder what your resurrection body is going to be like? I think people do ponder that sort of question. And I I think we often think it will be an improved version of the one we've got now. You know, sort of, if you want to be skinnier, you get a skinnier body. You know, if you want to be taller, it'll be taller. Want to be stronger? You'll be stronger. Want to have more shapely legs? It'll be yours. Want to have abs of steel? No problems. You know, like, yeah, we sort of tend to think sort of improved version of what we have. But again, think with me about the analogy that Paul is using here in these verses. What's the connection between a seed and a plant? So I'm going to throw a picture of a seed up on the screen. Okay, so I'm not a gardener. There's lots of gardeners here. What sort of seeds are these? Hmm? They're orange seeds, okay? Uh, oh, yeah, I'm really disappointed you didn't know that. But <laughs> Well, someone did say it today. Okay, well, well done, orange seeds, okay? Now we're going to flick to the next screen. Right, orange tree, right? Now we'll have them together seeds, oranges. It's obvious, isn't it? Like, unless you knew that those sort of seeds produce that sort of plant and fruit, you'd think man, these are weirdly disconnected pictures, aren't they? Like to think that one could actually result in the other. Here's the thing, at the resurrection, God is not going to pull your body out of the grave, dust it off, do some running repairs and send you on your way. That's not the way in which it works, you're not going to be a new, improved seed. Okay, that's not the picture. There'll be a connection between now and then, but vastly different. And just think with me about the analogy. With a seed that develops into a plant and produces fruit, there's a sense in which that's the seed's destiny, isn't it? It's like when it actually you know, grows and produces fruit. It's fulfilling its very purpose and the intention for that seed and that plant. And friends, it's the same for us. We will be resurrected from the dead to be all that God intends us to be, uh, perfect for the new creation and dwelling with God for eternity. And we see that, that idea of the development in our bodies when you go to verses 42 to 44 here in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says the body that's sown, the seed sown, right, is perishable. It's raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonour. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. And it is raised a spiritual body. Raised never to decay or die again. A glorious body, a powerful body. But I just want to pause for a moment, just reflect on one idea that sometimes I think does distract people. When it says there in verse 44, it is raised a spiritual body, what does that mean? So you might be thinking, ah, this is where the disembodied spirit thing, you know, uh, Comes in. Uh, but at this point, it's not talking about what our bodies are made of, but rather what powers our bodies. So I'm going to do a sort of thought exercise with you. I want you to imagine something for me. Right? I want to, if you're able to do it, picture things. I'm not a great picturer, but I want you to imagine in your mind a steam engine. Right? Imagine in your mind a steam engine and what a steam engine looks like. I'll guarantee that none of you, when I said steam engine or if you thought of a steam train, you didn't think of a train made of steam, no? did you? Uh, you thought of a, a train or an engine that's powered by steam. Bodies in this world have a natural power source but in the age to come they will be powered by the Spirit of God for that new context, that's what it means to have a spiritual body, one fueled by the Spirit of God. So I want to digress just for a moment on this issue and ask when do we get this resurrection body? Uh, what, if you, what if you die before Christ returns, right? I, um, last Wednesday I had a funeral for Chris Purton, okay? He has died before the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. When does he actually get his resurrection body? When's that going to happen? It's an issue that concerned uh, a young church, the Thessalonian church, and uh, I'm going to read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 uh, from verse 13. Paul there says, Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. Uh, We've got... 2000 years where we've been able to have a bit of a think about this issue but these Thessalonians were first generation believers they are grappling with the promise that Jesus would return raise people from the dead but some of their number had died in the meantime what's happened to them how does this how does this affect them where are these people now so what do you think again you have to call this out but what do you think happens to people when they die They believe in Jesus what are they doing now what's the story now, we, we, we actually probably would come up with a few different ideas in a room this big. But let me just chase the idea down with you. Because I think often, and again, you know, I've just taken a funeral, um, people often talk about people who believe in Jesus being in heaven. Right? Not a wrong answer, actually. But interestingly enough, it's not the answer that Paul provides to this young Thessalonian church, it's not what he says. In verse 14 in 1 Thessalonians 4, he says this, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in him. See, he describes people as having fallen asleep, and then when Jesus returns, raised. This sleep language is the language that's commonly used of those who die in Christ in the New Testament. Going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you looked at verses 18 and 20. Talks about those who've fallen asleep. But what does that mean? <laughs> and what does it wasn't meant to be sort of asleep right now. Is this some sort of sort of uh, you know spiritual cryogenic snap freeze thing? And when Jesus returns, he pops us in the microwave and away we go. I mean, you know, like what what are we talking about at this point? Or is it sort of a coma thing? I mean, where are the dead in Christ now? Um, What does that look like? I want to take you to a couple of other spots in the New Testament. I can't do a lot on this, but just give a few windows into this idea. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, uh, so Paul the Apostle is uh, facing death. That's his situation in this context, and he's reflecting on whether he's going to live or die and what that might mean. In Philippians 1 verse 23, he says, I desire to depart, that is die, and be with Christ, which is better by far. Then in verse 21, just before that, um, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If we go to another spot, uh, Luke 23 verse 43, uh, Jesus is on the cross with thieves beside him and Jesus says to one of these thieves today you will be with me in paradise I want to suggest to you that believers who die trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ they actually enjoy fellowship with Christ when they die we will enjoy fellowship with Christ if we die before Christ returns We will die and in some sense be in the presence of God himself and the Lord Jesus Christ and that is actually better by far. Better to be with Christ is the point that the Apostle Paul is making. Better, but the best place is to be with Christ and his people in our resurrected bodies in the new heaven and the new earth and that will happen when Jesus returns and raises us all with our new resurrection bodies. Okay? Die in Christ, better by far. Uh, Jesus returns, best by far. Uh, that, that sort of idea. Now, let me say that um, I've spent a very brief amount of time on that. Uh, very happy to engage with you around it if you want to talk. Uh, but I think that's a brief thumbnail sketch of the idea. What I want to do just for the few minutes left to me is to talk about the fact that knowledge that will be raised from the dead actually changes every aspect of your thinking about life and the future. So firstly, I want to say it changes our attitude to our bodies now. Uh, We live in a particular time, a particular location where we have never, ever been more fixated with our bodies. I think that is, that is so true. We're fixated about the shape of our bodies, the fitness of our bodies, the size of our bodies, the health of our bodies. We spend more time and money on our bodies than ever before. Clothing, uh, product, uh, all sorts of things. The concern about body image is just huge in our culture right now. and Media just feeds those sort of ideas. And the reality is our bodies are better looked after than at any other time in the history of our world. There's no question about that. So in 1960, the average age for people dying in Australia was, you know, give or take a bit of difference between men and women, but it was 71 years of age back in 1960. It is now 83 years of age. Isn't that an extraordinary extension of lifespan in just such a brief period of time? We are fixated with living in our bodies now. But here's the thing. When you know about the age to come, when you know about the new resurrection body you will receive, one that will put the one you've currently got in the shade, when you're aware of that, it does change your attitude to this body and in its present form. It gives you perspective. Let me say, sure, you should... Appreciate the body you have. It's a good body given by God. Right? There's no question about that and suitable for the place we find ourselves in right now. You should care for that body so that you can properly, properly care for people around you and serve them in different ways. But you know that this is a model that is going to be superseded. Right? That, that is the reality of what we're being told. And even if you're super fit, even if you're young, and we've got a few people here who are thinking, man, what's he talking about death and resurrection for? I've got a lot lot of years to live. But no matter what age you are, this is the truth for you. This is your future, and you need to take it to heart. And then as we decline, or as we endure sickness or pain, Uh, We know that in the age to come, those tendencies will be removed and eradicated. It changes the way you think about your body. It also changes the way you think about death, the way you think about your own death. Uh, I had the privilege of taking a funeral for another long-standing member of Trinity back in August. Her name was Julia Walton. She had been a member of Trinity since the 1970s in the city and Julia had pancreatic cancer so she knew that she was uh, heading towards, towards death, you know, over a period of years and had time to prepare for it. So Julia, uh, who was a retired school teacher, she organised her service beforehand, which lots of people do. Not only did she do that, she prepared the service leaflet for her service beforehand. Julie used to proofread the leaflets in the city uh, to make corrections. So the service leaf got prepared, was sent to Julia in a draft form and she found an error which she corrected in her own service leaflet and sent it back to the office in preparation for the day. Julia even wrote her own eulogy, right? Uh, and the reason she did that, these are her own words, the notes that she gave me to go with the funeral. She said... I don't want people going up the front with endless reminiscences, okay? Which gives you an idea of what Julia was like. Here, at the end of the the eulogy, uh, Julia said this about herself in the third person, okay? Uh, Julia's choice of a plain pine box for a coffin seemed to her to represent the depleted state that her own mortal body had reached... Because no polished casket, however elaborately decorated, could possibly represent the body, the glorious body that she was confident would be hers in the resurrection. D- Julia didn't like the process of dying. Right? Pancreatic cancer is not uh, a terrific illness to die from, and I spent quite a bit of time with her. Uh, in the days before she died. But she had no fear in the face of death. She had confidence that she would be raised with a new resurrection body, secure in that. Can, can I ask you, do you, have, um, do you have confidence in the face of your own mortality? Is that your situation? It affects the way you think about your own death. It also affects the way you grieve. Uh, Can I say, it's not that Christians don't grieve in the face of death. Of course we do. But our grief is shaped by the resurrection promises. Again, 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13, Paul says, you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. You don't grieve like other people without hope. We grieve. Death is hard to watch. Uh, people decline in pain or sickness or well, there's the suddenly, sudden rift of an accidental death and the loss of relationship that that uh, causes. In the Bible, it talks about death as the last great enemy. But what a difference it makes to have clear hope not wishful thinking, but confidence that because Jesus was raised from the dead, we will be too. Listen again to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and left We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Death. It's for believers the temporary break in relationships. And then finally what I want to talk about is living with the resurrection in mind in terms of how it affects what we prioritise in life. I think uh, Christians can fall into one of two camps when it comes to the resurrection from the dead for themselves. They can think of it like an insurance policy or think of it like an investment strategy. There's a big difference between those two things. So say you've got a home and you have an insurance policy on your home. What you're doing is paying a premium to guard against the event of something happening to your home, theft or the place burning down, that sort of thing. And what you do is you take out this insurance policy, you pay the premium, and you tuck the insurance policy in your back pocket or in a filing cabinet at home just in case one of those events happens. So Christians can operate like that with the resurrection. Good to believe in Jesus because when I die, that event triggers the promises of God. Now that, that's true but very incomplete. Contrast that with a strategy for investment. Now let's say, I want you to imagine four years ago you had $500,000 sitting in your bank. Right? I probably none of us did, but let's say you did. Okay? You're trying to think, where would I invest that half a million dollars? And you had various options open in front of you. You could uh, put it into shares or you could uh, uh, put it into the bank and just get some interest on it. Or let's say you could put it into real estate. Now, those of you who know what's happened over the last four years will know the share market has gone downhill. Interest rates have been flat, almost zilch. Property prices have gone rocketing up through the roof. Okay. Say you knew four years ago that the property market was going to take off and housing prices would double over that four-year period. Would you invest in the bank in an interest-bearing deposit and get 1%? Would you invest in the stock market and lose money? Or would you put it into housing and double your money over that period? If you knew that information, of course you'd invest strategically in housing if you had that available to you. Friends, that's exactly the way in which we're to think about the resurrection from the dead. Because Christ has been raised and because we know we will be raised too, That's meant to affect your priorities and investment right now. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 34, here's one way Paul says it affects you. Having this long description of the resurrection, he says to these Corinthians, come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. And if you'd read this letter up until this point, you know the Corinthians were sinning in all sorts of ways because they didn't actually apply this truth to their life. Friends, knowing where you are heading for eternity, we're meant to live with that priority in mind now, invest now in a way that honours God and pleases him with our lives. Can I say if you are dabbling in sin right now, uh, not only does the Lord of Heaven see it all, there's nothing hidden from him, but it is foolish. It is foolish to invest in something like sin, knowing where you're heading. Not repent and turn around. But then, in verse 58, right at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul takes it one step further. He says, My dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. A lot that we be labour for in this world, in these bodies, it will not endure into the age to come. It won't. I remember uh, I, I did a law degree and I remember I had the degree in a frame on in an office wall in in my study, a place I'd didn't didn't visit for a couple of weeks after storms, I went in and noticed that um, what had happened was a leak had developed directly above my degree and the rain had dripped down into my degree. All the print had run down so you couldn't read it anymore. It had become waterlogged, got heavy, fell off and smashed on the ground. Okay? Uh, and friends, in the age to come, that's exactly what that degree is worth. It is... Junk for eternity. I'm not saying there wasn't a value in doing it or being trained in it or exercising, but for eternity, it's a small investment. Yeah, it's 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 a trivial investment, really. Mm-hmm. Incidental. What do we invest in this world? You can invest in, you know, housing or career or financial security or... There's lots of things that you can put your life into. But friends, at the end of the age, most of it will just be junk. It won't be worthwhile or valuable. But here Paul says, do the work of the Lord. That is, in the light of the resurrection, focus on what promotes Jesus to others and will last for eternity. So right now there are people out looking after children of this church they're investing in eternity. That's what they're doing. That is a valuable investment. When you send money to support people uh, taking the gospel across cultures, you're investing in eternity, aren't you? That's what you're doing. When you pray for people to come into the kingdom, that's an investment in eternity. When you invite people, you you feel risky and nervous about doing it, but the carols next week, Understand that's a risk for eternity because you want people to actually hear and respond to the gospel. You see, because of the resurrection, the certainty of the resurrection, what we're to do is give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord in whatever way we can because the Apostle Paul says, that labour, your labour in the Lord, that's not in vain. That will endure. See, the resurrection, now once you take it on board, it actually profoundly changes every aspect of the way in which you think about your life. It, uh, it's to seep into our bones, shape our hearts and our minds and our priorities. So it's a wonderful teaching from God, isn't it? Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that... Uh, you raised the Lord Jesus to life. You defeated death. But also you make such sure promises to those who stand under your judgment because of our rejection of you. You promise forgiveness of sins but also life now that endures forever. Uh, thank you for these promises. We pray you'll help us to keep mulling them over uh, that you'll shape our lives and our hearts as we reflect upon them. And Father, we pray that you'll stir us to action as we think about how these impact what we do day to day, week to week, month to month, for whatever days you give us to serve you in this world. And we do pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.